JTEC Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. It's America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Bastak and Mike Jacobs. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. I am Tom Bastic alongside of me. Hello, I am Mike Jacobs. Thanks for coming back for episode 12. We are firmly in a dozen episodes. Yes, the game show guys are kicking it old school again this week, going back all the way to 1990. I, uh, man, kicking it old school. I, I love it. <laughs> I'm I'm on this like 80s kick. There's a brand new brewery that's opened up uh, close by that's got uh, an 80s vibe to it called Outrun Brewing. If you guys get a chance in Stone Mountain, go check it out if you're in the Atlanta area. Uh, I want to say hello to them. But uh, I so I've been in this 80s mode of like bodacious <laughs> and rad, totally tubular, and, dude, and kicking it old school. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just been rough hey, for me this week. No, you know what? Uh, I would be happy to forever live in the 80s and or 90s, so I'm I'm fine with kicking it old school. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Mike, what kind of business do we have to take care of before we get into the news of Mr. Christian? Uh, well, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to a blog uh, titled The Autistic Super Blog. Uh, oh, they yeah. recently had a write-up about the power of podcasts, and uh, they listed us uh, at the very top of their uh, list of podcasts that they like and had some very, very, very nice words to say about us. And uh, it was just it was very uh, it was I read it first thing in the morning and it was a very great way to start my day. So I wanted to give a shout out to them and say thank you very much for the kind words. Yes, Brian, thank you much. If you have not read his blog, he's been doing it since like 2017. Um, and it's fantastic. So check it out when you get the chance. The Autistic Superblog. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, but that's all I got, so I think we're ready to jump into news. Here we go. All right. Light up your cigarette, crack open a beer, put the kiddos to bed. From chaos around the world to carnage in your very old front yard, it's time for the news. This is the news brought to you by buzzerblog.com. I'm Christian Carrion. Tom Bergeron has been fired as host of Dancing with the Stars. The former Hollywood Squares and Fox After Breakfast host tweeted on Tuesday that he had been informed by ABC that he would not be continuing in his role as MC of the popular dance competition, a job which he held for 15 years or 28 seasons. Aaron Andrews, his co-host since season 18 of Dancing, was let go as well. The following day, it was announced that Supermodel and America's Next Top Model star Tyra Banks would be taking over as sole host and executive producer of Dancing. Banks has also mentioned that big changes are in store for the program. Commenting on the hiring of Banks, Bergeron tweeted, I guess I won't be getting back my monogram towels. <laughs> I mean... Do we do we have any real reason why he was like go or did they just do you just think they needed to change things up? I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the fact that in an interview he talked uh sort of disparagingly about the show casting Sean Spicer from the Trump administration for this season. I think he had a problem with that and I think that whenever your on-air talent goes on the air on somebody else's show and complains about the job they're doing, that's probably the time to let them go. There's nothing official about that. That is pure speculation on my part. But I know that once you talk trash about your show, you should probably expect to not be on it anymore. That absolutely <laughs> makes a lot of sense, for sure. So, 
so Christian, thanks for for being on the show, but we're we're gonna have to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that interview about Sean Spicer taking over the news job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else you got? Well, a conservative voice from the world of game shows has been silenced on Twitter. Chuck Woolery deleted his account on Wednesday. This comes after Woolery received huge backlash after an incendiary tweet, which said, among other things, quote, the most outrageous lies are the ones about COVID-19. Everyone is lying. The CDC, media, Democrats, our doctors, not all, but most that we are told to trust. Woolery followed up the next day by announcing that not only did he think the coronavirus was, quote, real and here, but also that his son had been diagnosed with the disease. Woolery, who was the original host of Wheel of Fortune and subsequently gained fame as the star of Love Connection, Scrabble, Greed, and Lingo, has in recent years reinvented himself as a fiercely conservative pundit on Twitter, as well as on YouTube with the series Save Us, Chuck Woolery. So Chuck has uh, long standing in my life been one of, if not my favorite game show host. I think he's just a phenomenal game show host and I'm not one to judge people by their political decisions or leanings or whatever. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree with him, but that's totally fine. I do think this latest tweet was uh, a step too far. The, the whole idea of denying the, the COVID thing really gets on my nerves living in an immunocompromised household, but I guess it seems he's changing his tune now that it's affected him personally. It's sad that it got to that point, but at least he's come around, maybe? To me, it's sad because he's such a great host and he's had so many great shows and so many great episodes. He's just such a great talent. And for his reputation to be tarnished by things like this, it's it's unfortunate. But I, I hope, I wish his son the best. That's That has to be a tough oh, spot. Oh, yeah, no be. no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I, again, I don't want to politicize things. I wish them the best no matter what. Uh, I just... I, you know, on a personal level, I, I'm not on board with the idea of saying that this worldwide crisis is some sort of lie cooked up by the liberals or whatever. I think that's just silly. All right. What else do you got, Christian? Well, current events for 400. This game show host's autobiography hits store shelves this week. The correct response, who is Alex Trebek? The longtime Jeopardy host has written his memoir titled The Answer Is Reflections on My Life. In addition to print and digital editions, an audiobook version will be available for purchase, read by Trebek and famous Jeopardy! champion Ken Jennings. The answer is, goes on sale July 21st, one day before Alex Trebek's 80th birthday. And I am personally very excited to read this book. Did anybody see, he just put out a summer update for what's going on with Jeopardy! and with mm. what's going on with him. Did anybody see it? I, I didn't watch it, but I saw that it was out there, yeah. I did check and it out this morning, yep. Yeah, he is extremely, for 80 years of age, extremely well-spoken. So I'm not surprised in the least bit that he is going to be doing his own audiobook because his voice is immaculate still. Yeah. Yeah, Trebek said he would never retire as long as his skills were up to par. I mean, he's pushing 80, and even with all the health problems that he's facing now, he is as unflappable as ever. He is just unbelievable. 
which, by the way, guys, if you if you don't know what was in there, you can look it up on Twitter. He um, he puts it out there. But basically, what he talked about is he's doing okay. His body's responding well to treatment. He's enjoyed the time off. He wrote the book while he's been away from the studio. He's looking forward to coming back, and he's been recording a bunch of intros and outros at home for the upcoming like um, Jeopardy library that they're going to be releasing from all the stuff in the vault. Oh, that's really cool. I'm very excited to listen to the the audiobook of that. I, I'm a big fan of audiobooks in general, and uh, I think his story will be fascinating, and hearing him read it, I think it's just going to be the you know icing on the cake. I'm real excited about that. Okay, Christian, I'll take this week in game show history for 400, please. Funnily enough, that is a daily double because our history this week... Alex Trebek, born July 22nd, 1940, one of the best hosts to ever be on TV, started his broadcasting career in Canada, his native Canada, uh, on the CBC, hosted some local TV shows, their equivalent of American Bandstand, which was called Music Hop. So he was the sort of Canadian Dick Clark for a little while, uh, made the jump to uh, American TV in 1973 on NBC with a show called The Wizard of Odds. And it was an audience participation type thing with a bunch of number based questions and, you know, didn't last very long. But, of course, came to huge fame with high rollers, uh, classic concentration, Jeopardy, of course. Um, But, you know, in my research, I, I tend to gravitate towards the more obscure entries in game show history. So I figured I would discuss this one particular episode, one particular pilot that I think you might find really interesting if you guys don't mind. For sure. Goodbye I want to hear Michael. It. Yeah, yeah so, let's do it. Malcolm. Malcolm was uh, in 1983. It was only a pilot that was made by the producer of the Hollywood Squares. Alex Trebek had a co-host and his co-host was a cartoon that was animated in real time on the show. Uh, there was this technology that allowed uh, the production company to create this ink and paint drawing that would move and animate in real time and interact with the voice that was being provided for the character. So there was a quiz game where two players would have to give one word each of a two-word answer, and if one of them got it wrong, Malcolm would help them out, and Malcolm always had the right answer. But it was just a little wisecracking, peanut-looking guy that was co-hosting with Alex Trebek, and it was a train wreck to watch, and it's on YouTube if you ever feel the need to want to watch it <laughs> but it is there i scoped it out earlier um and it, yeah it is bizarre and having a little bit of experience with you know television production and animation and whatnot like i see how it was made i don't really know how it was done back in that like in you know what was it 1980 is that what you said 83 right 83 so yeah i don't i don't like even today that's you know it's hard to do real time animation but it's it's a trip man check it out that's all i can say absolutely I, you know the technology was previewed on i've got a secret about a decade before and the guy's secret was that he was an actual cartoon and they showed it the the cartoon itself was made of like this sort of foam rubber and they would move it around with these sticks almost like a puppet and then they would superimpose that onto the colors for the character so the end result looked like an actual cartoon wow it reminds me of like uh, what was the uh, lancelot link secret chimp do you guys remember that at all you're talking about like the cartoons that have a, a human mouth on them? Correct. Oh, didn't... like Clutch Cargo. Yes, like Clutch Cargo. Exactly I, right. Did, did not Johnny Quest do that in the, their original iteration too, I did, believe? Yeah, or Speed Racer or something. It was Johnny Quest or Speed Racer did that too as well. 
Yeah. All right, so we're going to have to check that out. That uh, that sounds amazing to me. Malcolm. All right, so Christian, this week we're doing Scrabble. Scrabble is an incredible word game, and one of the most... I feel like one of the most underappreciated elements of that show is the writing. They had such clever clues and such clever wordplay in Scrabble. Um, I loved that show. When when I was little, I used to love the sound effects of that show. Um, That is exactly what I was about to bring up. That is the thing I remember most about that show is the sound effects. I'm so excited to go back and rewatch it and hear them again. Well, in the context of game shows, Scrabble had a sound effect for everything. And if you listen to just the amount of sound being put out on that show, the, from a technological standpoint, it's pretty incredible, especially for that point in the mid-80s. And I'm an audiophile, too, so I can't wait to go back and listen again. Years ago, I did an article for Buzzerblog, and I got to interview one of the guys who was a production assistant on that show. There's a huge cube that all the that all the gameplay takes place on, and it turned out that they were renting the projector equipment that would put up the board for the players to see. So at some point, a new stagehand took hold of it, turned it the wrong way, broke all the cables, broke all the neon, and the show shut down for a couple of months while they fixed it. Wow. So if you take into if you take inflation into account, it was the most expensive set destruction in the history of TV because that cube cost about a million and a half dollars to put together. Wait, is that the most expensive in television history? Well, I guess if you discount like things that take place outside, you know, but it was the most expensive stop down in TV history if you take inflation into account. Christian, how about a plug for Buzzerblog? Of course, buzzerblog.com, the number one game show website in the world. If you're interested in any news relating to game shows or unscripted entertainment, casting information, reviews, rumors, it is all rounded up for you at buzzerblog.com. Check it out. All right. Thanks to Christian for the news. You know, Mike, it was interesting as I was doing my research for Scrabble this week. I, you know, when we first talked about doing it, I was like, I don't even remember Scrabble. And then I brought it up and I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) The same reaction that you had in our Double Dare episode when we were talking about Toys R Us and I mentioned the video game booth where you had to go and buy because everything was Uh on the ticket Uh is the exact same reaction I had when I saw Chuck Woolery come out on stage the first time. Yeah. And the thing is, I've been talking to just, you know, friends and family and whatnot and say I'm doing Scrabble and un failingly everybody's responses there was a scrabble game show and i'm like how like this show existed for like seven years and it was very popular i just had such fond memories of it and i will tell you re-watching it uh i have fallen in love with chuck woolery again and i am standing by him being one of the best game show hosts of all time he is so good at this show you know and and i know he's in a in a in a bad light right now as we've talked about but i i mean honestly for what he's done in the past, it's been amazing. We love him for his past stuff. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm speaking of him as a game show host. His career, uh, he is very, very good at it. He is a very talented game show host. Well, uh, why don't we take a break and when we come back. We'll get right into the gameplay of Scrabble. Sounds good. All right, you've been listening to America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. This song stuck in my head all morning uh, because (laughs) it is the theme to Scrabble. And we are back of America's Favorite Podcast. Tell them what they won. This is segment number two. This is our gameplay segment. Michael, uh, 
This song was catchy. Come on. The, well, you know, the we funny about... thing was, is like you were saying, you had like forgotten that you knew the show. I had forgotten that I knew the theme before watching an episode for you know our, our research for this. I you could have given me a month to come up with the theme show to, or theme song to Scrabble, and I would have come up with nothing. But then right. the instant I heard it, I could sing along with it. You know. Yeah, and and you know it was so right. Christian was talking about um, the sound effects. Mm-hmm from the show and they really did have like both music and effects throughout the entire thing and also natural sounds i'm pretty sure the sounds of them taking the tiles and dropping them into the slot is the physical sound of that happening oh yeah it was a big empty box you could hear it when it dropped in but it was a very satisfying sound for some reason i don't know why (laughs) but it just i don't know it's a very smooth and satisfying sound i am just ultra curious is like on the stage between the two contestants the tiles would come up uh-huh. and it was like, as soon as the game ended, the next set of tiles were already coming up. Uh-huh. And I just want to know, like, did they have them all preloaded? Was there a cut where they had to go in and put them there? I don't know. I don't know either. I didn't find anything about that. For some reason, the whole time I'm watching, I'm imagining a guy like hiding in that little cabinet and like physically <laughs> racing and lowering all the tiles. <laughs> And then when they drop them in the bin, he just picks them up and puts them back. Puts them back, yeah. <laughs> They're just numbered 1 through 12 or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Incidentally, uh, we should probably describe the set, which, you know, Christian did talk about the big cube that broke. Uh-huh. I-, I didn't know what he was referring to until I saw it. I guess, oh, yeah, I guess it is a big cube there that rolls out and spins depending on what game they're playing. I had exactly the same response and I, and I actually read uh, his article on buzzer blog about that before I watched any episodes and I was nice. like god I don't understand how this was so expensive I don't remember this at all and then I watch it and you see that giant cube that can like telescope out back and forth and spin around uh, it is massive and I got to tell you in the days and age of television being what it was even in in the in the late 80s and early 90s, every door that was on the USS Enterprise was operated by hand, uh-huh. by somebody pulling a cord to open the doors and then to close them. I don't understand for the life of me why this cube could not have been rotated and pushed by two stagehands in the back. <laughs> I don't know. But Just they, weird to yeah, me. They, they built quite a mechanism. And I read something about there was, I think there was nine computers in there or something. It's just, yeah, I, I mean, craziness. Right. I mean, I guess it worked, though. And that's the other thing is you really only experience that if you're on set. Like, you don't get any uh, real sensation of what that cube is like or what's on the screen. I mean, you're seeing, obviously, on TV what's on the screen, but they blow it up full screen and then like superimpose the faces over it so you never really get to see the full i suppose majesty of that cube unless you're there yeah which is weird yeah and anyway so that's on one side the the people are on the other side playing against it so they can look at that cube for the main actual game itself but let's talk about that gameplay mike and as we move on to the other segments we'll talk more about how the 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 actual area where the contestants stood would change a little bit Okay, sure. Uh, so we had two contestants uh, for the the round, and uh, you know it's kind of really only tangentially related to Scrabble. It's I mean it's very much a crossword game, but the right. idea of the clues doesn't exist in Scrabble. You know the, the intertwining words is really the the linking feature there. 
I get it, but it's also kind of a stretch. It feels a little product placement-y, but, you know, that's neither here or there. Anyways, the two contestants are on the Scrabble board trying to guess words between five and nine letters long. And so what will happen is the first word get a letter somewhere in that word, and that's what the letter you're quote-unquote building on. And then uh, the host, Chuck Willery, will give you a crossword-style clue, usually involving some kind of pun, something like that. One of the ones I remembered specifically was... The clue was drive-ins. That's that's all you got. Um, and was the, it movies? No, it was garages. Oh and right, so, I see. So it's a play on words. Yeah, they did a exactly. lot of those. It's never it's never really on the nose. Occasionally it is, uh, but most of the time it's some sort of like. And I mean, you'll you know, if you do a crossword puzzle in your daily paper, it's the same kind of concept that you you know try to lead you to the right answer instead of just giving you the you know direct clue right right so to guess this word contestants will be pulling the numbered tiles that we spoke of in between them there's a row of of numbered tiles uh you pick out two of them at first and drop them into the little slot and those two numbers relate to two letters those letters may or may not actually appear in the word uh but you say uh, like let's say you drop tile seven and tile two in and you get a t and an e so you're like all right well let's place the t uh, and uh, it'll. This is what the sound that I remembered most specifically from the whole show. As the the yeah. T like goes back and forth over the word. Right. Uh, if it's if it's in that word, it'll kind of drop into place where wherever it belongs in the word. Uh, and if it's not in the word, it's what they call a stopper, and there'll be like a little red stop sign, and control will then pass to the other player. So who then takes up from there? If they think they know the answer, they can try and guess it. Uh, if they are, or if they still have a letter remaining from the tiles that were just taken, they only take one more tile. Otherwise, it's two more. Uh, and they keep going back and forth like this until uh, either somebody correctly solves the word or uh, three stoppers have happened. Uh, when uh, when that happens, they do what's called the speed word, which is basically they just reveal letters one at a time until someone buzzes in and gets it. They don't give you the last letter. Uh, and it, apparently it has happened. I didn't see any episodes, but apparently it has happened where nobody knew it with only a letter missing. Uh, so in those cases, they just throw it out and nobody gets a point. There was very briefly, uh, a variant where they had to spell the word correctly. Uh, I, I watched one episode of this and it didn't seem like much fun to me. I guess I understand the theory behind it because it's Scrabble. You have to spell things. But it felt like just an unnecessarily difficult add-on to the show. Like, it worked fine without it. And apparently they felt that way, too, because it lasted for, like, only a couple months, I think. Right. And and the, the truth was is that both, when they realized it was bad, both contestants were trying to spell the word, word mosquito. Mm. And neither one of them could. And that's when they were like, okay, this is just, like, holding up progress, and it's kind of ridiculous because they right. both knew the answer was mosquito. This, neither one of them could spell it. Right, and and at that point, it's like, okay, well, it's not really necessary to spell it right. It, you just have to figure out the word. Like, that's the idea, you're, you know. Uh, almost Wheel of Fortune-like in a way, right, where you just have... Well, especially ha the speed round, which they now have on Wheel of Fortune, where they do a toss-up, which is the same mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So anyways, this is uh, this whole thing that we've been describing thus far is referred to the crossword round. Uh, the winner of the crossword round is it's best of five. So whoever gets, you know, three answers first uh, goes on to what is called the Scrabble Sprint. Uh, and this is where they have to guess increasingly difficult words uh, as fast as possible. So the first the first contestant that goes to the Scrabble Sprint, uh, I believe they start at five uh, letter words and go all the way up to, to nine letters. And it's the, the same deal as before where you get a clue and then once you say you're ready and Chuck says go, two letters at a time appear on the screen. Uh, neither of them are stoppers. They never give any stoppers in this round. So you just you know try and guess the letter that you think would be most advantageous to you figuring out the word. And once you know it, you hit the stopper and your time freezes and you make your guess. And once you're correct, you go on to the next letter, so on and so forth. If you guess incorrectly, it's a 10-second penalty. And so it's really important to not guess wrong on this show. Like across the board, wrong guesses are very heavily penalized. So you want to make sure you get the answer right before you buzz in. So anyways, however long it takes them to go through these five different words, they sort of set the bar, as it were, for the next contestant, which then they go to the second half of the show, which is another crossword round featuring new contestants. And it's the exact same format as the first one. Once someone gets three correct answers, uh, they go do their Scrabble sprint. And basically they just start with as much of time as the previous person took and it counts down. And so long as they finish their run of words uh, with time left on the clock, they did you know, faster than the initial person and they would win the show. There was also later a bonus sprint. I say later, the majority of the show had the, the bonus sprint, but uh, this was where you had two words, uh, the first of which is six uh, letters at least, and the second of which is at least seven letters. Uh, and you had 10 seconds to get them both. Uh, if you did, uh, you got another 5,000 bucks. And uh, in, this, in this round specifically, a wrong guess is an automatic loss. So like I said, heavy penalization for not getting it right, you would just... Just be done. You would not even get to go on to the second word. Just out of the show. All right. So, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's a pretty straightforward game. Like, you 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 win, you move on, you fight. At least you get to have the opportunity to come back and and keep coming back. You know, if you're the champion of the of the round. Yep. the The first round of every show was the previous show's champion fighting against a new contestant. So you could you could stay in there for a while. And if you watch some episodes, people are starting out the show with like pretty high amounts of money. So uh, if you're good at it, you can you can really rack up the cash. Yeah, I think the maximum you could uh, you would end up petering out at what fifty five thousand. I think it was, was or that 40, it. 40,000, yeah. For some reason, 20,000 was in my head, but I do I do know there was a cap. Um, if you won five times, you got 20,000. If you won 10, it was 40, and it used to be 55 right. is what I had read, and that's when you would tap out as being retired as a retired champion, and then they would just, the yep. next two people that got to the, that one would get into the round, and you'd be good to go. Yeah, and there was there was a tournament at some point that the top prize was uh, $100,000, but that was a special sort of edition. Special thing, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about game show history and talk more about our uh, favorite guy, Arthur W. Ferguson. <laughs> is that his real name? That's his real name. Awesome. You'll find out who it is next right here on America's Favorite Game Show Podcast. Tell them what they've won.
and welcome back. Episode number 12. We are doing Scrabble this week. Scrabble, apparently a show most people don't remember, but it's strong in my mind. Now, and you know what? It was not strong in my mind, Mike. I think we talked about this earlier. Yep. I literally totally forgot about it until we started researching, and then I was like, oh my God, I love this show. Yep. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is it ran for a long time. It actually started uh, in 1984, July 2nd to be exact, 1984. Uh, it replaced a show that I want to look into more that sounded interesting. It was hosted by Bob Eubanks. It's called Dreamhouse. I don't want to go too in-depth uh, now since we're not talking about it, but I, I want to put that one on the back burner. It seems interesting. Okay. Sounds good. So, yeah, 1984, July 2nd. Uh, Chuck Woolery is the host and will remain as such for the tenure of the show, which if you watch it, it really makes sense he is such a good game show host i loved how casual he was and i didn't i don't really didn't realize i know i didn't realize it at the time but now after spending as much time in and around the inner workings of performance for as many years as i have the casualness that he utilizes where he's like making fun of the writing staff yeah sort of game show breaking the fourth wall sort of stuff and his interactions with the the contestants are always very casual and uh, breezy, like he just feels real good off the cuff. Um, and, like, and he's a good looking dude too. He's got like that kind of smile and the, like, he's just very personable and makes it seem easy. And he, one of the things that I think he's really good at is, uh, like you said, uh, like, uh, riffing on the, the writing staff, but he'll also kind of like jab at contestants if they give like a ridiculous answer or something, but he does it in such a way that's always funny and light and playful. It never feels like he's being mean. He's just such a great host. He would be he's he would be fantastic as a host of uh, the weakest link. You know what? I think that's a good point. Like how we were talking about uh, before, uh, where it needs to be the good natured as opposed to the cruel that it used to be. That's a really good point. Um, uh, I also want to just touch on the uh, announcer. Uh, You gave his real name earlier, but he goes by the stage name of Charlie Tuna. Yeah, Arthur W. Ferguson is the I mean, I guess if your name is Arthur Ferguson, then you should probably go by Charlie Tuna. But where do you get that nickname from? I love it. I don't I don't know unless it's from Charlie the Tuna. I mean, it's got to be sure that has to be the origination. But how does it get applied to a person? Especially whose name isn't Charlie. I'd like to go down that rabbit hole at some point. Sure. Well, and I will say this is not the first time I've encountered that name outside of the uh, spokesperson for the Tuna brand. Um, There is a rapper uh, of the group Jurassic 5 who goes by Charlie Tuna. Not only did I not know that, I don't even know who Jurassic 5 is. Oh, you should check them out. They are awesome. It's like real, it's like real smooth. It's all five dudes, like kind of vocal harmony, hip hop. It's it's really, really, really nice. Nice. Cool. All right. I'll check it out. So when Scrabble started, it had some hefty competition. It was initially up against Price is Right, which already is like, okay, well, how do you succeed in a game show realm up against Price is Right? Also Family Feud. Wow. But it didn't stop. Like it, it was very successful still. And then in 87, when Win, Loser, Draw shows up, which is a show that has come up on our podcast a number of times. I think we need to put that one on the back burner too. Okay. So yeah, it, it moved to a later time slot, uh, Scrabble did. And at that point, it was up against the soap opera Young and the Restless, which I don't wow. actually know how popular that was. Uh, I know my mom and probably every of my friend's mom watched it religiously every day. So it feels like they... They were really up against it as far as uh, competition on their time slots are concerned. 
But again, it, I mean, it, they did very, very well. I'm sure, you know, no doubt due to uh, Chuck Woolery's hosting skills, but it's just a fun show and a great, great game. And uh, it kind of, I don't want to say it was stagnant, but they didn't, uh, they, they would change things here and there, point values, and throw in little twists to the rules, like I was saying, the spelling thing. But more or less, it was the same show for the majority of the run. Um, they did do a few special editions, like I had mentioned earlier, the $100,000 tournament. Uh, in 87 and 88, they did a really cool thing that I liked a lot, uh, was a game show host variation where all the contestants were hosts of other game shows. Yeah. Uh, the first run had Peter Tamarkin, Mark Summers, John Davidson, Tom Kennedy, Bill Rafferty, and Jamie Farr, uh, the last of which who, oddly enough, was not actually a game show host at the time. He was tapped to host a show that actually didn't get picked up. But uh, yeah, that first run, he was not a game show host, but they put him on anyways. Uh, the really cool thing in that version is that one of the rounds Chuck Woolery actually played and Mark Summers uh, hosted. So it was this great confluence for me because, oh, man, the host of my favorite game show playing with my favorite game show host. It was a great, great little combination. Yeah, they, they did a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And, you know, the cool thing is they gave Chuck kind of like a carte blanche almost. Like he came out um, for his April Fool's Day broadcast in 1989 and recited his total Wheel of Fortune opening spiel. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, because he was the original host of Wheel of Fortune right. before. Not only did they, they let him do it, but they also played the Wheel of Wheel Puzzle reveal chimes. So it goes, <laughs> doo-doo-doo. You know, like, yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. That I got to tell you. That is really cool. I like that a lot. But yeah, so it ran until 1990, March 23rd to be exact. So yeah, almost exactly six-year run. And that's that's when it ended. I, I didn't actually find any much information about the last episode. Uh, I, I do have a little bit with uh, the last episode in 90. I don't know about when it returned. We'll talk about that in a sec. But what was cool is, is that he thanked the staff. He thanked the crew, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy who ended it, who won, his name was George Seeley. He won the sprint at the end for $6,000. They invited him back when they brought the series back in 93. Oh, so he was like the initial returning champion for the reboot? Correct. Three years later. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Well, so that reboot happened in January of 93. Um, They they brought it back and they paired it with uh, a Scattergories show, which I love the board game Scattergories. I've never seen the game show, uh, but it's hosted by Dick Clark and uh, Charlie Tuna actually comes back as the announcer for this one as well. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Yeah, but... Uh, apparently they were not great. Uh, it did not last long at all. By June of the same year, 93, both shows canceled. Um, and in fact, that uh, that version of it has never been rerun since cancellation. I don't know about Scattergories specifically, but I know Scrabble, that 93 version, uh, has not re-aired. Hmm. Uh, but reruns were on the USA Network, which I th- I have to imagine that this was probably my primary exposure to the show was watching it on USA um, a lot of the episodes on YouTube have commercials left in, and there were a lot of commercials I remembered from USA, like USA Movie of the Week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those reruns ran from uh, September 91 until De- uh, sorry October of 95, uh, and that's quite a long stretch, and that is when I am in my formative television year. So I have to imagine that's where my fond memories of this show originated. 
Did you have anything, Mike? You want me to mention the uh, the two rerun? I mean, the uh, two spinoffs that didn't actually happen. Yeah, I read a bit about those. So apparently, and I just found this uh, this morning. Uh, between the two Woolery runs, they had another Scrabble game show that was in production that was going to be hosted by Steve Edwards. And I don't know if you know him, but he was a, a local and national broadcast guy from L.A. Like he was on Good Day L.A. He was in Entertainment Tonight. Oh, uh, I was the, thinking crossing over. What is that guy? Oh, I don't it's know. It's Edwards, right? Something? Yeah, it may, be, it may be him. It could be him. I don't know. Um, but I will say this. Uh, it was not. It was never aired, so you can't really say you know it was out there. There may, be a, there may be a pilot for it somewhere, but I have not seen it. There was also another one called Scrabble Challenge. And remember our friend John O'Hurley? Oh, right, right. Family Feud name. Yeah, tapped <coughs> to, to host Family Feud. He was slated to host a game show called Scrabble Challenge. The only difference between that and the other ones that, that uh, Woolery was hosting was that it was going to be a little bit more true to life to the game itself. Mm. And so a lot of people have said, oh, I wish that had made it because it, for the purists of the world, this is more truly Scrabble than the crossword game that we saw. I think Woolery that would be host. interesting to see. Cause, I mean, I'm, no, I'm not a Scrabble purist by any means, but I do enjoy the game. And uh, like I said earlier, it's really only kind of Scrabble, the show. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be interested to see how they adapted to make it more akin to the board game. Well, it also never aired. It was supposed it was supposed to be right. airing on the Game Show Network and it never did. Between you and I, I don't like really the game of Scrabble all that much, but I love this game show. Yeah. So, um to me, I don't want to see a game this close to the game. I'd like to see this game show come back again. Well, and and my I don't think my uh my desire is to see it more than this version of the show. I would just be interested to see how it's carried out. How I, it's I, done. I I don't have any uh, preconceived notions that it would be better than this version or anything like that. Okay, so I guess it's time for us to do our ratings. Yeah, our ratings. Uh, I guess how to tiles. Hey, how many tiles? Yeah, so let's do our ratings for the show and how many tiles I like it. Yeah, uh, I'll start and say I'm going to give it, gosh, I, I was going to say four tiles, but I'm going to bump it up to 4.25 tiles because that's how much I like Chuck Woolery as a host. And I think maybe this is his best work. I was never a fan of Love Connection. That show, it's so awkward. I never liked watching it. He's good in it, I guess. Um, but I think he is really at his best in this show. Uh, it's a great game format. It's easy to play at home. It's accessible, but people can be really, really good at it. It's, yeah, I, I love it. 4.25 tiles. That's where I land. Well, it's very it's very funny. I thought, thought this was going to be the first week where I actually voted uh, higher than you, rated higher than you, because I was going to rate, rate, rate at 4.25. Hey. Uh, this is probably one of my faves. I'm so upset that I don't think about it more often like I do the Hollywood Squares and the Card Sharks of the world, which are my other favorites. But this this game is great. This reminded me how much I love Chuck. Just really, really wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. 4.25 is where I'm going. I can't imagine that it won't come back again. They've got they've got to do it. It's just a great a great way to play it. And Christian saying that he went and bought a copy of this uh, to go play. Uh, he bought the play at home version. Right. It makes me want to go buy it. Go find it and buy it too. 
yeah, I, I bet it's I bet it's probably a lot of fun. All right, Mike, I think that's all we've got for this week. Uh, yeah, thank you to Christian as usual, all the folks at Buzzer Blog, and of course all the other fine blogs uh, talking about us and everyone who who takes the time to listen. That's all of you out there. We're now in India as well. Just saying hello to those guys. Also. Oh wow! Tune in again next time when we'll bring you all the latest and greatest in the world of game shows, as well as a brand new featured show too. And remember, you can always catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, tell them what they've won. Please subscribe, share, like, and drop a review if you like what you heard. And if you didn't like it, your letters are U and F. Not necessarily in that order. Oh, all right, Mike. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, Tom. You've been listening to America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. A JTAC audio production. Copyright 2020. No part of this podcast may be reproduced by anyone without the express written consent of the creators. For more information or to contact us, please go to tellthemwhatthey'vewon.com. All right, Mike, what did you learn this week? I think I relearned that Chuck Woolery is my favorite game show host. I was really afraid that this current Limelight stint would change my opinion of him. Maybe it has as a person, but I think I'm able to separate that because there's no denying his ability of hosting a game show. Uh, he is phenomenal at it, and I'm not going to take that away from him. That's great. I love him so much. I think it's amazing. All right. I learned that I'm considerably more scared of being on a game show. The more of these we do, the more like at, at the beginning, I thought I could be on any game show out there. And now every time I'm playing along with these game shows, as we start to do it, I'm realizing I'm not as good as I think I would be on these game shows. Interesting. So this one specifically, I was consistently doing better than the contestants, but there's also the factor of like being there and the, you know, sounds and the lights and the audience and all that. It's, it's not an easy endeavor. It just scares me. Yep. Copyright 2020, a JTAC audio production.